All right, we're going to be uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to grab your Bibles and go ahead and head over there, uh, we'll jump into that in just a couple of minutes. As Jared said, my name is uh, Tim Thetford. I'm, I'm a pastor at Christ Community Church in Laguna Hills, where, where Jared pastored for many years. Uh, I think we were there about seven years together, and uh, I was blessed by his friendship and the fellowship that we had pastoring there together. Um, and we continue to share as, as pastors in, in Orange County. Um, I met with our elders this morning. We prayed for, for your church this morning. Um, Jared was also the pastor over, over student ministries, and so my kids uh, had the blessing of, of going through junior high and high school with Jared, and so uh, I'm indebted to him for caring for them, for equipping them. Uh, thanks. And I want you guys to know just how cool a guy Jared is. Um, I found this picture, and uh, he's got the musician vibe there. He's got the sweet ride, you know? I thought about recreating this. I, I would love to have a picture of me with my car and my guitar and the wind blowing my beard back. It'd be, it'd be awesome. But seriously, I know that, uh, I know that Jared cares deeply for this church and he wants to see God glorified through your continued growth in Christ. And so at my church, as a pastor of community life, I get to wear a lot of hats. I get to do a lot of fun things. Uh, I run our young adults ministry. I also am uh, in charge of our adult Sunday school and our uh, life groups, which we call community groups. And so I know that you're thinking about starting community groups here. And so I just wanted to encourage you as you begin that process. When people hear... Uh, community life, right? Even Christians can get this picture of, of a hippie commune or uh, maybe you think of the Amish, right? So I'm not promoting that we start wearing tie-dyes or, or um, overalls or anything else like that, Shall, sell all our belongings, don't use technology. Uh, but I do think that especially in Southern California in 2021, we are incredibly isolated even before COVID happened. We are largely disconnected from, from our community, even our neighbors, and except for uh, Sunday mornings, even the family of Christ. And so growing in community is more than just casual conversations with other Christians before or after church or before or after Bible study. When I talk about growing in Christian community, I mean sharing a common life in Christ. And it moves us beyond the, the self-focused isolation of our private lives and the superficial social contracts uh, that often pass as, as what we call Christian fellowship. The biblical ideal of community instead should challenge us to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. And I want to encourage you, I love our community groups at our church. And that's not just because it's my job. It's not just because I'm in charge of them, but because I've seen the impact personally and in our church to transform lives and to live out the biblical mandates to love one another. And so this morning, I want to tell you about our philosophy for community groups as your church begins to think about, about starting groups of your own. And so I want to look at three things today. The first is, what does Scripture say about ministry and community? The second is, what does that look like practically? And I'll tell you a little bit about our groups and how they're set up. And then three, hopefully give you guys some encouragement uh, today. All right, what does Scripture say about ministry and community? Um, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. And so if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. 
It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, you can take a seat. Thank you. And so Peter, he's encouraging the Christians who would hear and read this letter, and that includes us, to, to well, to grow up, to mature, Right? And what does this look like in Peter's mind? Well, if you look at the context just a couple passages later, passages prior, or a couple, yeah, just prior to that passage, he says, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And so he's speaking to this Christian audience, audience and he's saying, you're saved, but you're not acting like it. They're immature, and he's saying that, that if you know God is good, why aren't you acting it like it? And so Peter's using the analogy of the temple with regard to Jesus and, and with regard to us as well. He's connecting the dots for us from Scripture. Uh, stay in First uh, Peter and jump over to John chapter 2, the Gospel of John, verse 19. John 2, 19, it says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And so Jesus was prophesying not only about the destruction of the temple, but about his own death and resurrection. And in our passage, Peter he quotes from uh, Isaiah 28, and Paul, Paul uses the same analogy in Romans 9 and 10. He says, um, he quotes from Isaiah 28, identifying Jesus, who the Jews rejected, as the cornerstone of Christianity. A cornerstone is, is the initial stone that's put down when building a building out of stone, and it's on the corner, it's usually larger, and, it's, and all the rest of the stones are, are aligned to it. It is the plumb line. It is um, the anchor upon which all the other stones must be aligned to. And so Paul is speaking, um, Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks uh, about against sexual immorality. And as he's speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And so God's very presence in the Old Testament was with Israel. In the tabernacle, it's a cloud by day, fire by night, and then later in the temple as well. But at Pentecost, right, everything changes. And so God fills all believers with his presence through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is comparing, uh, Peter is comparing Jesus to the temple, and he makes the analogy that we, as little Christs, are little temples, 
We're spiritual houses. And I love the analogy of being, being living stones. That's a, that's a picture for us of the church. And it declares who we are and what we're to do. It means that we're connected through Christ. There we go. It means that we're connected through Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We're the church. In fact, we're blood relatives through the blood of Christ. If you think of a stone house, it is strong when each stone is supporting the other stones. All right, it also tells us what we're to do. We're to be a priesthood of believers. We're to offer sacrifices, not like the priest did in the temple. The temple's gone. It's been destroyed, but fulfilled in the true temple that is Christ. And our sacrifices are, are not for forgiveness of sin that was offered once for all by Christ, but we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, so we're to teach, and we're to preach, and we're to share the gospel with the world. One of the necessary ways we demonstrate God's goodness is by loving one another. John's gospel instructs us, and Jesus says, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, dis my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Peter's saying that we're to be like Christ, not in a salvific way. We're saved by Christ alone, by his death and his resurrection. But we are to love one another. We're to minister to one another. We're to speak truth to one another, to counsel one another, to encourage one another. And this is why we see so many commands in Scripture that say exactly that, the one another's. We're to share with one another. Acts 4.32 uh, says the early church uh, were of one heart and soul, that they had everything in common. Paul tells the church in Rome to love one another with brotherly affection. And this, this affection should be genuine, not a fake love, but a true love, to outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 15.7 says, welcome one another in the same way that Christ has welcomed you. For God's glory. The question is, who are you welcoming into your spiritual house? Romans 15, 14 says that we, uh, we, should, we should be full of goodness, filled with knowledge. Why? So that we can instruct one another. And this is done formally from the pulpit and in classrooms, but also informally through discipleship, through living life together. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says, we're to care for one another. Why? So that there would be no division in the body. Imagine that, no division in a church because they were caring for one another in a way that, that broke that down. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, we're to comfort one another. That this is part of restoration. That we're to agree with one another, to live in peace. Galatians 5.13 says that we have freedom in Christ, but that freedom is not to be used for ourselves, but as an opportunity to serve and love one another. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens, to fulfill the law of Christ. And so notice the expectation that there are going to be burdens in life, but also notice that we're not to do it alone, not to carry those burdens alone and bear them alone. 
when we come alongside and we help each other, we show that we understand the gospel. We understand what we've been saved from, and we understand what we've been saved to, that we would love each other as Christ has loved us. Ephesians 4.2 says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, to bear with one another in love. This means that we are going to have to bear with one another, that, that sometimes we get on each other's nerves, right? That we would bother each other, that we may struggle with our brothers and sisters in the church. We have to love each other even when it's, when it's difficult to do. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's a heavy one. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's letter to the Colossians says, says that, again that we are to bear with one another, forgive one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? So we can teach, so we can admonish one another, so we can encourage one another. That we would sing psalms of praise to, to, to encourage one another, to sing these truths like we sang this morning. These are the, what we believe, and we're going to sing them out with thankfulness in our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, again, encourage one another. And this is a great verse this, uh, for every spiritual house. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 and 15 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so loving and ministering to one another is not a one-size-fits-all approach. We have to be invested in people's lives to know where they are at. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another. Have those difficult conversations, those conversations that can lead to repentance, those conversations that can lead to resolution. Why? So that our hearts do not become hardened, right? When we don't have those difficult conversations and we just hold that inside, our hearts harden. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider. He says, be thinking about how to stir one another to love and good works, to meet together, to encourage one another. Are you concerned with the spiritual well-being of those sitting next to you, of those that are, that are across the sanctuary here? James tells us to confess our sins to one another, pray for one another to be healed. Yes, we should pray for physical healing, but we also need to confess sin that's killing us and be praying for spiritual health, be praying for spiritual growth. 1 Peter one twenty two says, we're to purify ourselves by obedience to the truth. Again, not, not for selfish reasons. I mean, there are good reasons to, to be obedient. We want to be obedient. But so that we can love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? And lastly, 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 
For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so community groups are the practical application of the belief that we, the body, are responsible for the care and for the nurture of one another. But what about the pastors? What are they doing? What about the elders, the deacons, the ministry leaders? Yeah, they have their roles. They have their responsibilities. But the main responsibility for the care of the body is through the body. You're a royal priesthood. You're living stones in a spiritual house. And as a priesthood of all believers, each person in the community group, each child of God is capable for caring for the others in the group. And none, no one of us can minister to all of us. Talk to pastors. But in the New Testament, the growth and the discipleship of the entire church belong to the entire church. Not a select group of super-Christians or apostles. The obligation fell on all believers. And can we do that in the courtyard before or after church? Maybe. Can we do that in Bible studies and life groups? Maybe. Can we do, those, can we do that with those that we're, we're intentional with, friends, those we connect with out of the side of the church? Maybe. But if we aren't intentional... The reality, the reality is, is it's just not going to happen. And so community groups are the intentional gathering of believers to help one another grow in Christ. All right, what does that look like practically? And I hope this doesn't come off as dry. Uh, um, my intention is to, to, to share with you how we do things uh, because I think it demonstrates uh, some of this love for one another. Um, couple of things. First, there are biblical principles that the church uh, is called to be obedient to. And so when I say community groups should do this or community groups should do that, know that I mean that the church should do this or, or should do that. We're just intentional in doing these things through our community groups. And this doesn't mean that I think that only Christians should be in community groups. Community groups uh, have been a great way to invite non-Christians into the church, into the life of the church for, for many who may not enter through the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's not the main purpose, but, but it happens. It's been incorporated into some of our groups. I also don't think that community groups are only for super Christians, or if you're not in a community group at our church, that you're not a real Christian. This is just how we are trying to best live out these one another commandments. And our groups aren't perfect, uh, but we're growing and learning and lives are being transformed. And this is simply what community groups look like in our church, and they may look different in yours, and that's fine. All right, first of all, leaders. We, we look for leaders that are already growing, already loving and caring for others, those that have a shepherd's heart, those that are ministering to and counseling others. You guys know people like that. That doesn't mean that um, we sign our leaders up to take on uh, single-handedly, all the things that, that need to be done. Uh, instead, taking the lead, uh, they, they're called to take the lead in, in enabling and equipping and empowering others in the group to care for one another's needs through the Spirit's leading. And the, the goal isn't perfectly facilitated, comfortable, easy groups. Oftentimes, it's messy. Oftentimes, it's awkward. But God will work in and through the realness to conform us increasingly into the image of Christ. And so community groups are, are sinners pointing other sinners 
to the one we all desperately need for the good, for our good and for God's glory. And so we refer to our community group leaders as shepherds, and they and, and all ministry leaders are, are under shepherds to the one true shepherd. We're looking for those that are, that are mature in Christ, that have a willingness to care for others, and a concern for the spiritual well-being of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And yeah, our leaders are called to be examples in, the, in their groups, and that may sound intimidating, but this is what all Christians are called to do. Jesus says in the Great Commission that part of making disciples is, is teaching others to observe all that Christ has commanded. We're all called to do that as Christ's disciples. Uh, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we are to make followers of Jesus by imitating him and pointing to our need for him. And you might be thinking, Yo, yeah, that's, that's Jesus, that's Paul, I'm me, right? But the reality is that God's plan to reach the world is through thousands of little examples of who his people are, of who he is through his people. So our community group leaders are just simply called to be who they claim to be. And the authenticity and the transparency that they demonstrate shows that we're all sinners in need of the gospel. So our leaders, we ask them to meet regularly. They need to connect with the people during the week. They need to pray with them, remind them to meet, be creative in how to fellowship together. It's ultimately their responsibility to organize and manage the group, but, but part of this is, is incorporating other people, right? It doesn't just then land on the community group leader. So, so part of it is hosting. But if you have someone in your group who loves to host, that's an opportunity for them to use their gifts of hospitality. There is some minimal information they need to we need to stay updated with them on our church management system, but, but if they have someone in their group who's techie or who's super organized, we say, give it away to them, you know? Let them be used. Let them serve the group and bless the group in that way. Others may have a love to serve, and so they might be in charge of, uh, of serving the group or finding other service projects that the group can do. All right, let's talk about multiplication. Uh, not that kind. It doesn't involve any new math. Um, what I mean is, is a healthy group will grow in number as they invite others uh, to their group over time. And so as new individuals and couples and families join the church and they're looking for growth and they're looking for community, we encourage our groups to invite them into their groups, into their lives. And this is the foundation for group multiplication. As groups have been together for a while and then they grow in size, they're encouraged to multiply. This means the group would, would split or at the very least uh, new leaders would take a couple or two with them and begin a new group. The reality is that new leaders are, are already being identified within that group. They're being mentored within their group and trained formally and informally. Our community group leaders are encouraged to always be looking for, always be developing new leaders from within their group. We see this in 2 Timothy. Paul, he's training up Timothy but he also speaks to the church and says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Of course, this means elders, but it also means other men in the group, other men in the church to, to lead and follow that example. And we multiply it, and that's how the church has grown and will continue to grow. So we use this process. First is uh, discover, that we would discover who could be your next community group leader. So we're always looking for that. When we want to develop them, 
by giving them opportunities, right? Opportunities to grow, to practice, to hone their gifts. And then we deploy them by entrusting other people into their care. And so I, as as the community group pastor, um, along with other pastors and elders, um, we have community group leader trainings. Uh, We work to build up new and existing leaders. Ultimately, our groups are are to be intentional with with their time, that it would be edifying, that it would be true fellowship, true partnership. Uh, We encourage our groups to go through some, uh, we use sermon discussion questions, uh, similar to you guys do. I created some for your enjoyment later. but, but they go through those. And, and, the, and the blessing of that, the benefit of that, is that any community group participant uh, can talk to anybody else who's in, a, in another community group and say, hey, how was your discussion? How are you guys applying that, right? So there's this connection, not only within the community group, but within all our community group participants in the church. And sometimes a leader may, may discern that, that, a, that a group needs something specific, Right, and so we want to give them the freedom to do that. We have some resources that they can, if if our community group leaders come to us and say, "Hey, my group's really struggling in this area. I want to use this resource." We say, "Hey, go for it. For a limited time, yeah, focus on that. Build your community group up. That's awesome." And our desire for our community groups is is that we wouldn't just answer the questions and be done but we would be applying God's word to ourselves, that it would be active, that it would be alive in our lives, that it would be transformative to change our hearts. And so the sermon questions are are there to facilitate um, not only the knowledge of God's word, but but application and confession and repentance for spiritual growth. Uh, But really the main purpose of it is to help our leaders discern where people are spiritually and to help them grow. And so when community groups are growing in Christ, are healthy, are cared for, are praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work in the lives of individuals in the group, loving and serving others will, will be the organic overflow of an abundant life in Christ. And so we encourage our groups to, to, to share the gospel together. Uh, hopefully people are, are saying, look, I've, I've got this guy at work, or I've got this friend, right, that they're praying for him, they're encouraging him, uh, helping him get equipped right? Of course, prayer is an important component of every community group. If we believe that the Bible teaches that salvation and sanctification are the work of God, then it's imperative that we're praying for the Spirit of God to be at work in our own hearts and the hearts of others in our group. And so, our community groups regularly pray for each other. And in order order to do that, they must be involved in each other's lives. They have to be invested to know how to pray, Prayer is often taught more, more through the models. Think about the ways in which you've seen prayer, right? How do you pray? It's by oftentimes the models that the people you've seen around you pray. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good. And so we want to encourage uh, our leaders to model biblical prayer in their groups. We encourage our leaders to help their groups pray for application of God's word on our hearts more than the desire of our hearts. And we encourage our community group leaders to pray, to spend more time in prayer than talking about what needs to be prayed for. And we all, we all fall into this. We all, we all stumble with this. 
Our community groups are also our, what we call our first line of defense in caring for the needs of the body. And this means if you need to bring over a meal because someone's had a surgery or a baby or um, hospital visits, even helping someone uh, move or financial help through the group or through our church benevolence. And so we encourage the leaders to, to coordinate their groups to care for these needs first. If the physical needs or the financial needs are more than the group can handle, well, yeah, we have deacons available. We want to help them out. We want to encourage them uh, that if they can do it themselves, but we want to be there if, they, if, the, if it's more than they can handle. And since COVID, uh, our, our church, in the case of financial needs, we've actually empowered our leaders, right, within limits and with deacon oversight, but, but to immediately help the people in their group through our church benevolence, um, which our, our church body uh, donates to. Um, and there's, there's, it's not just money given out, right? There's a, a, a connection, right? They're brought into counseling. They're brought into um, maybe a relationship that needs spiritual connection or fellowship as well, right? And so in the same way, spiritual needs like, like discipleship or like counseling, um, we, we, we train our, our leaders, but, but they're to be the first line of defense, but there's help available. We have others who, who love to disciple. We have others who, who are getting trained in biblical counseling. We have our elders, our church counselors, um, because our community groups are designed to be safe places where spiritual welfare and growth are the priority, it also should be the primary place where our people incur- are encouraged to, to get discipled, to get counsel, to use their gifts. This is where marriage problems, right, should be first identified. Uh, when they're in the early uh, stages, not when they've been neglected, not when problems have been hidden, not when things are on the rocks, and then we find out about it, but our leaders are interacting with couples and with marriages and doing life with them. This is where gaps in theology and Christian living are lovingly identified and discipleship is started. And community groups are are places where, where potential leaders, potential teachers, elders, deacons, missionaries, they should be identified and encouraged to serve. We have, um, we have the blessing of being a multi-generational church. I love our church. Uh, you guys are multi-generational here too. Uh, we encourage our groups to, to be multi-generational as well. Um, although it may seem fun to be stage of life, right? Oh, everybody's dealing with the same things I'm dealing with. But the reality <laughs> is, you know, you get a bunch of young families in there and there's 20 kids running around screaming and they've got no one, th- you know, to, to give them wisdom and to help them out. How much better would it be, and we've encouraged groups, to have young couples, young singles, right? Older um, seniors, people who are empty nesters, right? People who want to hold babies um, with these families. And now you've got a mix where everyone is organically discipling, right? How do you, how do you get them to sleep? <laughs> well, we did this, you know? Loving in uh, a community. And it's worked out really well uh, for the groups that, that have adopted that. 
And so again, we, our, our target is around 15 people, but, it, but if it starts growing beyond that, we, we ask them, to, we, we get them ready and help them to multiply. Um, all right, our, our groups are, are required to meet at least twice a month. We encourage them to, to meet more if, 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 if they'd like, and a lot of groups are doing that now. Um, our group meets, we, meets weekly, and man, I'm telling you, uh, during COVID, this was so life-giving for people uh, to, to meet weekly, whether it was on Zoom or outside. Um, there were a lot of people who just commented how, um, how connecting it was to many who felt isolated, who felt uncertain during the pandemic. All right, groups meet for different durations. We, we leave that up to them. We encourage them, um, if you'd like, have a meal together, right? We love to, we love to eat. I love to eat. And uh, my wife tells me I get hangry if I, if I don't eat. So, yeah, we just we bring food or, or, or share food, and we just have our conversations. And it's so good for our kids to be around those gospel-centered conversations, right? All right, a couple things that we, we really want to happen. We want to, our, 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 we want to have open Bibles, right? So that scripture can be the foundation, foundation for clarity, for realignment, for encouraging one another. And of course, we want to point each other to Christ in, in everything that we do in our community groups. We discuss the sermon uh, using the sermon questions. And I'll tell you, uh, just a little note, as a, as a pastor who writes questions, uh, and I take care to craft my questions, and I, and I hope that it will help our people be introspective and expose sin and give opportunity to reflect and to, to demonstrate our need for the gospel. That being said, I trust my leaders that, uh, I trust my shepherds that, <laughs> that if need be, throw it away, right, to have that maybe better discussion have that fruitful discussion where change is happening. And there's a difference between a discussion um, that is a distraction or a red herring or a rabbit trail away from real vulnerable heart change. But there are great questions and great discussions that can lead to and reveal and draw others into a valuable discussion that sanctifies us, that uncovers truth in a group. We spend time in prayer, whether, whether it's a full group or maybe divide up as men and women, small clusters, pairs. Uh, we pray for the application of God's word uh, and others' needs. This is vital. We confess sin and turn to Christ together for forgiveness. Sometimes uh, some groups use, use worship. When we had little ones in our group, we would often do worship. If someone plays an instrument or just singing a cappella, um, you can do that. But laughter, man, we laugh a lot in our community groups. It's important that while we discuss the weighty things of God, we don't lose sight of our joy in Him. And finally, I want to give you some, some encouragement. So something really, truly um, horrific happened a couple weeks ago. I turned 50 years old. And my amazing, my amazing wife threw me a really great surprise party, and I love surprises, so I was very happy. Um, I don't necessarily like being the center of attention, uh, so she invited a bunch of people up to make me the center of attention and say nice things about me, which was actually really nice. Um, 
this is, yeah, okay. In retrospect, three of the guys who spoke, so several guys spoke about me, said nice things about me, but three of them were, were guys that I've had in community groups together. And I didn't think I'd get emotional over this. Okay, guys that I've had in community groups together that, that I've uh, helped develop, and now they're community group leaders, and they have their own groups. And each of those, in, in talking about um, how awesome I was, uh, <laughs> they talked about our community group and the time together and how valuable that was to them, how impactful that has been to their lives. And so I've seen personally um, marriages be restored in Christ through community groups. I've seen families supported through job loss, through financial struggles. Other groups have rallied around uh, those with miscarriages, those with aging parents, dealing with Alzheimer's, and much more. Um, one final uh, story. We have a community group that meets a little further away from our church, and so um, it's a little eclectic, right? And I think, of, um, I think of the early church, right? The early church, you met, and your church body was... Uh, it wasn't about what kind of worship style you liked or whatever. It was about you could, you could walk there, right? It was, the, it was your neighbors. It was the Christians who lived in that, in that area. Uh, and that's just how the early church was. So this church kind of being uh, uh, a little far away is a little bit like that. But, but praise be to God, they, they're truly multi-generational. They have uh, young singles, young marrieds. They have families with kids of all ages. And they have some seniors in there as well. And they started meeting in the summer, but then as the summer turned uh, to fall, the seniors stopped meeting with them. And so they were asking, why, why aren't you guys coming anymore? And they, they just said they didn't feel comfortable driving at night. I know I cry a lot. Uh, incredibly, the younger singles and, and the younger um, couples they stepped up and they'd go, they'd go pick them up and they'd drive them there. And the bonds that were made, you know, these seniors and these young people, uh, you know, uh, driving them back and forth to community group, the bonds were deepened and that group had tremendous spiritual growth over the years. All right, I'll end with this. Um, Christian professor and author Howard Macy writing on Christian community, he says, when we imagine that we as Christians and humans can live in total independence and self-sufficiency, we are deluding ourselves. Oh, there it is. God from the beginning never intended that we should go through the world alone. We simply cannot experience fully the power and delight of life with God without also being drawn into life together with our sisters and brothers in Christ. Without experiencing such life together, we will not discover how wonderful the news about Jesus really is. And I truly believe that. God could have used any means he wanted for evangelism. He could have said, boom, boom. God knows the work of salvation, but he uses imperfect sons and daughters to share the gospel, to be the church, to represent him. In the same way, he uses you and me, a priesthood of all believers, living stones to be the primary way in which the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. There are no lone wolf Christians in Scripture. The growth and maturity of believers is always in community. And so the reality of the gospel should change the way we see ourselves, 
the way we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. It should change the way we do life through prayer and struggle and study and encouragement. The gospel lived out in community is the body of Christ, being Christ to one another and encouraging one another to be like Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Um, God, we want to be obedient. We want to love you well, love others well. God, you have called us to, um, to love one another, to serve one another to bear with one another, to care for each other, to encourage each other. God, we want to do that well. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, we want to see um, lives transformed. We want to see churches flourish. God, I would love to see this church just on fire, just um, loving one another well. That's something we can do Um, that you've called us to do, that we desire to do. God, help us to do that. And God, the blessing is, is the crazy thing is that when we try and bless you, when we try and be obedient, when we try and do those things, you just, you just bless us way more. You bless us incredibly and that, and that we grow, we are transformed. We are more and more, um, like Christ, and that is good. So God, I thank you for, uh, again, your word, this opportunity to preach and teach. Um, we love you so much. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.